0: You are listening to the I Am In podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, Come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Brett Anderson was born in Alabama at the conclusion of his father's Air Force service. He was raised in western Washington in a small agriculturally based city of about 6,000 people. He briefly attended a junior college with an interest in civil engineering and then was called to serve as a missionary in the Japan Tokyo South Mission. Brett loved every bit of his mission and learned to love the Japanese people. Upon his return from Japan, he started school at BYU. He changed his major from civil engineering to agribusiness. Brett loved the mix of biology and business, and while at BYU, he met and married his bride. After graduation, they moved to Logan, Utah to do a master's in reproductive biology and endocrinology. It was here that Brett made the decision to use his knowledge and skills to help multiply and replenish eternal families instead of cattle, goats, sheep, pigs, or horses. His first job was in Los Angeles, California, working for the largest fertility clinic on the West Coast. In 1999, he moved to Boise to help people of Idaho in their struggle from infertility to family. Brett enjoys spending time outside with his family, hiking, camping, or on the lake. A personal interest is road cycling. Together with his wife, Sharon, they have four children. You are listening to the I Am In podcast, produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion.
1: As I listened to uh, some of the previous podcasts, started thinking about uh, this opportunity to, to speak to you today. Sister Burke originally uh, asked me about this Um around Christmas time, so I, I uh, kicked the can as far down the road as I could kick it uh, as I started thinking about what what I might be able to share with you. I feel like there should be a little, one of those really fast um, disclaimers that come at the bottom of a commercial, at the back end of a commercial that says, you know, the, the opinions and statements reflected in the next 45 minutes, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, the more I thought about what I could share today, I started writing some things. Sorry, that's the other thing I discovered as I, uh, <clears throat> as I listened to some of the previous podcasters was uh, no one was really very emotional in any of the other podcasts. So I'm, uh, unfortunately, I'll warn you that I, I am, you're not going to be that lucky with me. I, I tend to be a little bit emotional. But as I started um, writing some things down and gathering my thoughts, my first couple iterations started to sound a little bit like an obituary or a eulogy. Um, so uh, I, li- I did listen to to some of the previous podcasts and and it frankly it kind of added more stress to my life as I tried to figure out what I wanted to say. But then I thought that really the the point of our discussion today is to recognize our blessings, right so I truly am blessed. And if you saw me pull up in my 2001 Ford pickup or see me using my slide phone, you'll probably think to yourself, yeah, he is really blessed in his life. But at the same time, I have been richly blessed. With a wife to stand beside me for 32 years. Great friends and family around me to support me and show me the way meaningful employment, and four kids, <clears throat> kids that love each other and enjoy spending time with each other. I would say those are my, my richest blessings. Over the course of the last 23 years <clears throat> being here in Boise, I've been involved with the young men the majority of that time with the youth program. And honestly, this is the first time that I've ever been asked in a church setting to discuss about uh, what I do for work. Um, historically, uh, uh, many of you know there have been, uh, for priests and teachers, there'll be career nights where um, the youth will get to go to see their, what some of the men in the ward do for work. And as I've been involved with the young men, the bishops have always said, we feel like that's probably a discussion that's best had with your family, with their family, amongst their families about what I do for work and helping people have children. So I've never been able to do a career night with, with the young men. And then one, I've been involved with a quite a few treks. I think we've done four treks in various capacities. And somewhere along the line, I ended up on someone's medical. So they, they asked for people who are on... Um, that maybe work in medical environments. And I ended up on a medical, on one of those lists as someone that works in a doctor's office once. And I said, I don't know that really I should be on your medical list for Trek because I really don't feel like the services that maybe I offer are going to be needed or even appropriate for a Trek environment. So I'm happy to be able to to speak today about About what I do and how it blesses people's lives. As I thought about it too, I thought, uh, have any of you ever been on a cruise? I love to cruise. When you're on a cruise that's that big giant ten-story floating hotel room, right? And if you're up on the top floor and you feel the ship start to turn, you can feel the ship lean to one side. It's just a gradual movement of the rudder, but you can feel the ship start to pitch just a little bit and you know, oh, the ship's turning a little bit. And there's that, con- it doesn't turn all at once, but it's just over a period of time, you feel the bumping of that, that rudder starting to change the direction of the ship. And that's how I kind of feel like, like life has been. Just over time, There's been that little nudge of the rudder that slowly gets you moving in the direction you ought to go. One of my favorite quotes, I used to have it on my desk for years and years, says, a ship that knows not to what port it is destined knows no favorable winds. So the question I guess I ask myself and I pose to you is, are you on course? What is your course? You think about your life, and you think about where it's going, and you think about your plan A, and maybe your plan A doesn't always work out. And then you think about your plan B, and maybe plan B doesn't work out, and you end up somewhere else, plan C perhaps. But there is a plan, and it's our responsibility in life to try to figure out where our Heavenly Father wants us to end up. There is a plan, and sometimes it takes us a while to figure out that Plan C was really our Heavenly Father's Plan A from the very beginning. Uh, I came across another quote recently from Viktor Frankl that kind of made me stop and think. Actually, it was while I was still considering what I was going to say today. said, We detect rather than invent our missions in life. And I feel like that's kind of where we are with that ship and the rudder, slowly giving us nudges and bumps. We detect where it is that our Heavenly Father has, for us to, has planned for us to, to end up. So I guess at the start of my group therapy session here, as I discuss where I've been and where, where I am today or where I got, I guess it starts, started for me with the thought of, uh, I, as was mentioned in the bio, I grew up in Western Washington. I was the youngest of three kids. Um, the bio mentioned that uh, I, was, I was born at the end of my father's military experience. My dad served in the Vietnam War. He came home from Vietnam not in a good place, and it caused a lot of stress and a lot of strain in our family. He, he came home as an alcoholic, and so over the course of My 18 years of growing up, dad was in and out of the house a number of times as my mom did the best she could with a very tough circumstance, caring for the family, um, providing for us kids, teaching us the gospel, showing us the way, loving us. But it added to a a non-traditional growing up experience, I would say. Um, As I think about that, Um, it definitely shaped and directed me, I would say. Helped me understand maybe some things that I wanted to do in life. I remember growing up, distinctly there were two occasions. I had a very good, I should preface that, I had a very good close relationship with my dad. Um, There were two specific occasions in my life when I heard him tell me that he loved me. One, one of those situations, I was on my way out of the house maybe, I, have, I think maybe eight to 10 years old, I was on my way walking down to the bus stop. He happened to be out in the garage. I walk out and he calls me over to the garage and sets down what he was doing. And he said, just want you to know I love you. Caused some tears, right, as I'm ready to go down and walk to the bus stop. 10 years later, um, end of February, my, fe- my senior year, finally was getting to, finally it earned my Eagle Scout award. Was at my court of honor, <clears throat> pinning on the, uh, the parent pins. Pinned my mom's on, pinned my dad's on. Full gym full of people. Gives me the biggest hug I've ever had. Tells me he loves me. I don't know that it was loud enough for everyone to hear, but it was loud enough for me here to hear. And about 15 days later, my dad passed away. So it added to an interesting family dynamic. As I thought back about that, made some decisions about maybe the kind of father I wanted to be, I didn't want my kids when they're 50 to be able to say I heard my dad tell me twice that they love me I know that my kids can't count the number of times so then there's the church growing up dad was in and out of the house relied heavily upon the church the Melchizedek priesthood members in the ward were my priesthood holders they took care of all of my ordinations, my confirmation, all the different progressions in the priesthood uh, relied heavily on my ward. Got very close to some of my young men leaders. They directed my life. They helped me understand my strengths, my talents. My bishop helped me understand and recognized how to feel the, the Holy Ghost. When I was a priest he helped me, called me in one day and was. we were talking. He said how, how, do you, how do you feel the Holy Ghost? And I said I don't know that I feel the Holy Ghost. And he said well Tell me what happens when you, when you hear about spiritual things. How do you feel? And we talked about it. And it was the first time in my life that I started recognizing that's the Holy Ghost. So from that point on, I could recognize when there was a little bit of rudder movement and the ship was starting to move. <clears throat> Somewhere in that time frame, well, I was, another strength in my, in my growing up was... Was the opportunity to go to seminary where again we're in a small agricultural based city in, in Washington and we had seminary in a cinder block building attached to a barn that's the it was in that area the seminary teacher was called as an, as an assignment as a calling in her, in her ward I think she got 75 cents a day for every lesson that she taught to cover expenses that she might incur supplying materials or whatever. Anyway, we met in a cinder block building, had a screen door, didn't even have a full door. So the outside temperature was the inside temperature. (laughs) (coughs) So I would get there, um, was always the first one to seminary and I would start the kerosene heater. So that by the time 15 or 20 minutes rolled around and the other kids started getting there and the lessons were about to start, it was a little bit warmer inside than it was outside my seminary teacher helped me learn about the scriptures. She opened the scriptures to my eyes. She taught me the scriptures and she taught me how to feel the scriptures. And my testimony was strengthened. And somewhere in there, I learned that that faith, obedience, and action leads to blessings. And I was determined to practice that. Went on a mission to Tokyo. Small town, 6,000 people is where I grew up. Served in the biggest, I may have been the biggest city in the world at the time, Tokyo. Um, anyway, significantly larger than, my, than my, the town I grew up in. Felt like a very, very small fish in a very big ocean. There was not a single day of my mission that I didn't bluff at some point in my language skills. Uh, but at the same time, I had faith. I told the Lord that I would be obedient to the mission rules and that I would work. And it was His job to bless me and to bless the people that I came in contact with. It was a great experience. Touched many lives, met many people, taught a lot of people. Loved the book Drawing on the Powers of Heaven. Again, it showed me how to to pray and use prayer as an instrument in my life to guide my ship. Came back from, from, from my mission and, as was mentioned, got into BYU. And before the school year even started, moved into an apartment uh, of guys. And they before the, again, before the school year even started, they said, Hey, we know these girls. And they're in the apartment just right, right across the way. We lived in the Riviera. And they said, let's go up the canyon and have a barbecue. We'll invite these girls and we'll go up the canyon. So we go over there, meet the girls. Lo and behold, Sharon is living in the apartment of these these girls. And we met, had a great afternoon up in the canyon. Um, I was about two and a half months home from my mission, so was really not in the position, mindset-wise, yet to be dating. Um... So the school year starts, home, uh, family home evening group's assignments are given. Guess who's in my family home evening group? Sharon. Uh, so we started meeting on, on Mondays in, as apartments. Calling Time for callings comes, and uh, I get called to be a gospel doctrine teacher. Any guesses as to who my gospel doctrine teaching partner got called to be? Sure. So uh, we start spending time together, preparing our lessons, bearing testimony one to another. I think that was uh, kind of a different way of starting a dating relationship. A lot of times you start dating somebody, uh, and eventually you get to find out uh, what they feel about the gospel and what their testimony is. We got to find out about how our sh- testimonies were before dating got in the way. Um, so we, we taught together, I don't know if it was one semester or two semesters, uh, but at the beginning of that time when we, about the time we started actually dating, our efficiency of lesson preparation became poorer and poorer as uh, things became distracted with dating. Um, but a true blessing it was to to be able to start that relationship off on a spiritual note, to know where her testimony was, where her strengths are as far as the gospel, what she feels is important. Um, I think it set a a very strong basis for uh, for where where we would go. Uh, We got married after the first year, uh, and... Schooling. Uh, Sharon finished before I did and started teaching and then I finished up, uh, finished with in three and a half years from BYU with uh, my undergraduate and two minor degrees. And at the end of my, <clears throat> when, right before I graduated, I uh, had the opportunity to, to interview with an agribusiness company um, in the Salt Lake area. And uh, I think I did fairly well uh, in it. They offered me a position as an assistant manager someplace. And they said, we are so excited to tell you that with this position, there's a salary of $14,000 a year. And granted, this is 25-ish years ago, but $14,000 a year. And I thought, I have made a huge mistake. (laughs) Um, So I went back to visit with some of my professors and, and they said, well, in the, in the program, you really seem to enjoy this, this degree, this class on uh, animal embryo transfer. They said, I th-, one of the professors said, I think you should really look at, uh, at getting a master's degree in reproductive biology and endocrinology. And so I thought, I gotta do something, I can't support a family on $14,000 a year. So I applied to almost all the the schools in the the West, Oregon and Washington and Colorado and Idaho and Utah. And several of them came back uh, and said, we want you to come be a student with us. A few of them said, we'll pay you money to come here and be a student with us and do your studies. And we thought and we thought about it and uh, we prayed about it and at the end of the time we, we considered it, we thought Utah State is where we need to be. So we turned down the schools that were going to give us money to go to study and we decided we're going to go pay our own way at Utah State. Just we're crystal clear that that's where we needed to be. Uh, financially, it wasn't, uh, wasn't a good decision, but it was very clear that Utah State was where we needed to be. We go to Utah State, and uh, within the first semester, my major professor finds a job for Sharon to do, so now we have some money. And then within the end of that first semester, my major professor uh, said, we have this opportunity for a new position that we're opening. It's a, it's a half-time salary position at Utah State, and we'd like to offer it to you. And this is, the, this is what it entails. So as your position, you will uh, create cattle embryos to supply the embryos needed for uh, graduate students to do their research. And we'll, pay you, uh, and we'll pay you, number one, to do that. Number two, you'll get a huge tuition break, And number three, uh, the work that you do in providing embryos for these graduate students to fulfill their research obligations fulfills your research obligations. So my master's thesis came from my daily work, providing embryos for the other graduate students. So one, one stone, three birds. We had finances, we had tuition paid, we had insurance, and we had a project for my master's thesis. Um, the stars were aligning. So, uh, in the course of my time there at Utah State, I met another person that, uh, who was there um, working as a, well, he was on a a PhD dissertation committee. He was an outside scientist. And he was the director of four different labs or three labs along, in the human field along the west coast in California. And my work as an embryologist in, at Utah State uh, creating these embryos for the graduate students helped his students get published papers that also included his name so um, he, we got to know each other and when um, it was about time for me to graduate he said What's your, what are your plans? And I said I don't really have much, I mean I'm not really sure yet. And he said, I want you to come to Los Angeles and work as a clinical embryologist uh, in the human field and help infertile couples have kids. And it was as though the clouds parted, the sun shined through. It was like, this is why we are here at Utah State. It was so crystal clear. Had I gone anywhere else, wouldn't have made the same connections, probably wouldn't have had the experience um, of doing what I did in my, in my graduate studies and the stars aligned again and the ship moved. And we ended up in Los Angeles. It was a great experience in Los Angeles. The weather was nice, the schedule was wonderful. Into the lab by 7, out by 2, we could be on the beach at 3.30. Um, The kids were little. Uh, We had lots of family that came and and visited us. It was was a great life. Um, But when I went down there, uh, when we went down there, we told the director, this is not the place that we plan to raise our family. L.A. is a great place to live, a great place to get a lot of good experience, but it's not a place for our family to raise our kids. And he said, don't worry about it. Uh, The big the big plan for this clinic is we're going to roll out clinics all across the United States over the next year and a half and you'll be able to pick where you want to go and we'll just put you wherever you want to go. So five months later they sold the company. The company got bought out. That plan of rolling out clinics across the country disappeared and I went to a medical conference and and met somebody that was a, a mutual friend. And in the course of that discussion, he said uh, in the future, I may have, a, he was a physician, in the future, I may, have a pos- I may have an opportunity that I may call you about. Would you be willing to leave Los Angeles and consider someplace else? And we said, sure. Again, Los Angeles is not really the place we wanted to raise our family. So a year later, the phone rings one night, and it's this physician. And he says, Boise, Idaho. What do you think about Boise, Idaho? And Um, At that point, we were like, yeah, I I think we're ready to leave Los Angeles. And so, um, we had an opportunity to come here, uh, set up a lab, and start helping patients. And that was in 1999. So, um, I would say, I don't know how many of you have gone to local schools here, but um, many of you have probably younger siblings, and I would guess that that some of your younger siblings, that if they're anywhere less than 21 years old, probably have met t- children that have come, for lack of a better way of saying it, from Petri dishes from the lab in which I work. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of a strange thing to say, but... Um, so we moved here in 1999. The physician and I were, were very close, very good friends. And he, wasn't, he rotated between uh, the clinic here and he had a clinic also in, in Reno. And when he wasn't here, he said, I have this car. And you can drive the car when I'm not in town. And when I'm in town, just make sure it's full of gas. And uh, I'll drive the car when I'm in town. And <clears throat> the license plate on the car was a custom license plate, and the, license, the custom license plate said "Baby Maker," B A <laughs> B Y M K R, Baby Maker, and that's the car that I drove around when he wasn't in town. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know how many times riding, not driving down the connector, uh, and going home, or usually going home, because I'm in the office very early in the morning, usually before it's light. Um, driving home and you'll see, just out of nowhere you'll see a car just fly up next to you and then stop and drive, not stop literally, but drive right next to you, parallel to you. And it just is there for a while so eventually you look over and you wonder, okay, why is it speed up and then slow down right next to you? And you look over and it's someone obviously that's seen the plate and they look over at you and they just go, shake their head no, like no. <laughs> Like a little, like, like I'm saying, I'm all that, right? Uh, the, the baby. Making. And they're like, no, no. So we drove that car for a period of time. The funniest thing was we were driving that car when we were pregnant with our, probably our third child. And we, Sharon and I pulled up to the OB's office and we got out. And someone saw us get out of the baby maker car when Sharon was like nine months pregnant. And they thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <coughs> But anyway, uh, helping people have children. We're all from families. We all feel the love that we have for our parents, for our siblings. Those of you that are parents know how you feel about your children, know the deficit that that would be in your life if you didn't have that love, that support, that strength, that relationship that you have with those members of your family. Over the la- so when I was in LA we had lab had no contact with we were not allowed to have patient contact. I think they were afraid that we might say something that might contradict what the physicians are telling the patients so we had no contact. Here in Idaho we have virtually unlimited contact with patients so um, we can visit with them we can we get to talk with them about how their case is going, um, explain things to them, which is really nice. We get to have a little bit of a relationship with the patients. Um, as the, so a little, as a background, uh, what does the embryologist do? Embryologist is there when the, when the eggs are removed from the, from the female. Embryologist is the one that finds the eggs, prepares them to be fertilized, decides what is what is fertilized and what isn't fertilized grows the embryos to usually a day five um, stay, day of development. Um, we now with the way current technology is, we'll actually do biopsy of the embryos. So we'll take a small piece off of the embryo through a microsurgical um, procedure and we'll send that out and they'll actually tell us which of the no- embryos are normal and which are not normal. We freeze the embryos and leave them in tanks for years. Patients come back when they're ready to have more kids. We thaw the embryos. We transfer the embryos back into the patient. They get pregnant, they have a child, uh, and the circle of life continues. So that's what a clinical embryologist does. So as, a, as an embryologist there, uh, we have a lot of patient contact. And again, when it's time for that, embryo to be transferred back to the to the female it's the embryologist that selects which embryo gets put back and we are the ones that bring the embryo into the room in a small catheter to be placed back into the in the transfer process I guess the whole background of that that um, that amount of detail is during that procedure you get to see the men and women there for that procedure. And you see them at a time of hope. You see them holding hands. You see them leaned in close. A lot of times with their foreheads touching. You see their lips moving quietly. And you know that there's a prayer going on there. I see their pain. I see their hope. I feel their prayers. I know they're praying for me. as they try to build their family. So, my time's running fast. Um, One quick story. There was a couple a number of years ago. Um, We'd been working with a couple for a long time, cute couple, Um, and it was time for, time for their embryo transfer. We did the transfer. Uh, and typically, the, the the protocol is that when the pregnancy test comes back, the wife gets the call, the wife gets to find out, and the wife tells the husband um, what the outcome of their investment, really, or their, their treatment is. Well, this particular couple, the husband pleaded with the nurse outside of earshot of his wife and said, Will you please just tell me? I would love to be the one to tell my wife. Um, And so wife went away thinking she's gonna be the one to get the call. Husband went away thinking, I'm getting the call. And time passes, it's time for the pregnancy test to come back, and we call the husband. The husband is a high school teacher. And these pregnancy test results come back in the middle of the day. So, we gather around the phone, put him on speakerphone, and we call the, call the husband and he answers the phone kind of quietly because he's a teacher and he's in class. And um, so, he knows who it is, we tell him who it is, he knows why we're calling. And, and we said, congratulations, she's pregnant. And Immediately, you can just, you can hear, well, initially, complete silence. Then he says, then he says something, and uh, I don't remember what he said. He was emotional. Again, in front of his high school class. And one of the nurses said, in response to whatever it was that he said, said, She said to him, you just made our day. And his immediate response was, you just made my life. And as you think about, again, that family feeling that you have, what a blessing to be involved in, in the creation of that family unit giving these people that want so badly to complete their family and to bring spirits and fulfill even our Heavenly Father's plan of finding bodies for these, these spirits. What a blessing. What a blessing for me to be involved with that. Every other year, our office has a, what we call a baby reunion. And um, we go, we used to just meet at Municipal Park, now we meet at the zoo, and we invite... Um, people that have had children over the last five years to come enjoy a little barbecue lunch or dinner and um, say hi. And, and it is such an amazing experience to see these people come back with their children and flow into the park and just this beaming and wanting to tell you everything about their little one. Um, It's so much fun to see them. As I've looked back over the last 23 years and done a little bit of calculations, I think we're somewhere in the neighborhood of about 5,000 children that have come through procedures done in that little clinic. I estimate that there's probably about Two hundred and forty kids a year, so about ten elementary room cla- elementary classrooms come out of that that office. Uh, so, life hasn't always been smooth sailing with 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 work there. Um, there have been challenges. Not long after I got there, an administrator told me once. He said told me that they had some concerns about about my priorities. I said, what do you mean about my priorities? And they said, we feel like your church and your family are just a little too high on your priority list. You need to focus more on work. I was like, well, number one, that's a compliment. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't intended to be a compliment, but thank you for the unintended compliment. And number two, I just thought, "Wow!" And it made me stop and think um, about about what really I wanted, right? And so um, as i as I thought about it, I thought, well if if we can't see eye to eye about what my priorities are and what what I'm offering and what uh, and what we're trying to accomplish, then maybe this isn't a good long-term fit for me or for our family either. And uh, so I kind of came to the conclusion, and I and my response to them was, uh, maybe maybe this isn't a good long-term fit. I'll sell my house. I'll take a loss on my house. As a clinical embryologist, I can go, I can go to any big city and get a job. I don't need Boise, Idaho. I have loved it here. I feel like I've provided a great service to the community. I've helped a lot of families. I've helped the physicians achieve their goals. Um, we have patients come from all over the world, literally, to come to Boise, Idaho for services that we offer. Why Boise? I, I don't know why Boise. We have good statistics. We, we have a very strong program. But people come from all over the world. Um, so I said, I'll just move on, we, you know, if it's not a good fit. And they completely backed off and said, no, no, we're fine. Um, you don't need to leave. We'll make some adjustments. And, and it, caused, it caused, I found that I was very offended for a long time over the way that conversation went. And it reminded me um, of a quote from Brigham Young. And it says, he who takes offense when offense was not intended is a fool. Yet he who takes offense when offense is intended is an even greater fool. For he has succumbed to the will of the adversary. Unfortunately, I've been both. <laughs> I've been the fool and I've been the greater fool. And I strive to be neither. But it took a long time and a lot of prayer and a lot of asking for my Savior's help to forgive and to move on. And when it came down to it, again, another bump of the rudder, um, I knew that Boise, Idaho was where I still needed to be. My kids were in high school. They had a great, um, great surrounding friends that strengthened them. And it just became very clear to me that I just needed to put my eyes down, check my pride, and get busy with what I needed to do. So we stayed. Um, Again, I feel like it was a guide. It was a direction from our Heavenly Father saying, it's not time for you to move on. Will there ever be a time for us to move on? Who knows? But at that time, and at that point in our life, it was not a time for us to, to move on. Um, our son went on. Our oldest son went on a mission in Chile. During that time that he was gone, um, you hear about blessings. Blessings come from missionary service. You hear that a lot. Um, I, I completely agree that missionary service brings blessings to the missionary, but it also brings blessings to the family. When my son was out serving... Uh, I had an opportunity come across that um, gave me an opportunity to, with very little extra work, um, create some extra money for the family. And it was almost amazing when he was out on his mission. This this opportunity developed; it became really big. And about the time that he was ready to come home, it disappeared. But financially, we were blessed. We were blessed that in that small amount of time we were able to completely pay off our house, which is crazy to think. He was out on his mission, the wave came in, blessings, and then it disappeared, he came home. Um, uh, our daughter went on a mission to Georgia. Different kinds of blessings, um, but a strength, her service strengthened our family. This week our youngest son got his mission called to Fresno, California. Blessings are coming. We don't know what they are yet, but they're going to be there as he goes out and serves the people of California. Uh, So the question is, are you where you should be? Are, Are you, do you know what your port is? Are you willing to hear and feel when those rudder movements are happening And our Heavenly Father is bumping you in a direction. Are you ready to act? Have you ever asked your parents, um, have you ever asked your parents if they were to do their career all over again, would they do the same career? It's kind of an interesting question to think about asking your parents. Um, I don't remember which one of our older kids asked that. And at first I thought, I thought, I don't know if I would or not. Because my daughter... Went to school as an accountant. I thought I really like business. I really like numbers. I think I could see myself being an accountant. Our next son went to nursing school. I think I really like the medical side of it. I think I could be a really good nurse. Our third daughter is is doing social work. I think I think I could enjoy again. I like working with youth. I think I could enjoy being a social worker. But then, at the end of the day, as I stopped and think about, start or continue to think about it, it reminded me of a short phrase in my patriarchal blessing. And this is what it says. Life will become sweeter to you. It will have more meaning. How on earth could I think about doing anything else for a career with a statement like that in my patriarchal blessing? Heavenly Father, I didn't recognize that until a few years ago, that that, st- that statement was there. But then, when, I've, when I, again, when I looked back and read it, and the uh, patriarchal blessings, as we know, are a very dynamic document. They say different things to us at different times depending on our needs. But Heavenly Father knew what port He needed me to be in. And I've been blessed as I... <clears throat> Have tried to help, and people have kids. I know that there's a great love that our Heavenly Father has for each one of us. The great thing about the Gospel, as Hildur Holland says, is you get credit just for trying. Even if we don't succeed, we get credit for trying. Keep trying, keep looking for your port, keep trying to figure out what, what way it is that the Spirit speaks to you. Be ready to move. Be ready to look. Be ready to change your plan from plan A to plan B. Be ready to change ports if you're not going to the right port. Heavenly Father has a plan for each one of us. And when we get to that port, there will be a great amount of joy for each one of us. And I know that our Heavenly Father knows each one of us and loves each one of us. And I leave that with you in the name of our Savior, even Jesus Christ, amen.